The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Max Boltman of The Athletic, thanks for joining me on an early Red Wings game day. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Yeah, so I was curious, how has the season been for you? I know pandemic and all empty arenas. I was curious, are you traveling with the team on the road? No, no, not right now. Um, and, and we never travel like so much with the team. We just kind of go, you know, separate. And uh, But, but uh, I'm not doing any road games uh, so far this season. And that definitely changes things. But, you know, when you think about it, there, there's not... Uh, open locker room or anything like that right now. So it's, uh, you know, there's a little bit less reason to travel this season. Yeah, definitely. Has it, I'm sure it's been weird, right? Or does it feel kind of normal that we're having hockey at least in January, February, you know, typical month, even though the season started late, I guess it feels a little normal or is it just weird all, all around? It took me two games for it to feel normal. That was it. Like it was like, you know, the first game back, you noticed how empty it was and the cardboard cutouts in the stands and then game two, a little bit less so. And since then, it feels bizarrely, bizarrely normal. Um, certainly, you do notice sometimes, like when the when the Red Wings score like a goal, you know, they, they had the tying goal against Chicago a couple nights ago. And normally, that'd be a, a huge, you know, atmosphere moment in the arena. Um, and you, so you notice it in those situations. But, you know, it, I was stunned at how quickly you know, I, my, my, uh, like tunnel vision kicked in of just, you're watching what's happening on the ice and you're focused and all that. But well, I mean, certainly from my job, what I notice is there's, you know, without going in the locker room, there's, I feel like you, you lose a lot of kind of those little tidbits that you pick up about the team and stuff like that. It, it certainly makes, uh, it a different experience covering it, but I was stunned at how normal it felt to be watching even by just the third or fourth game of the season. Yeah, watching games on TV, it felt normal. And I know it's the fake audio noise that they're pumping yeah. in, but it, but it kind of works. Not, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, watching baseball, I see empty seats right behind home plate. That just is just so bizarre. But with hockey, I know they they have some stuff covering the seats or whatever. But yeah. uh, in in general, it feels a little bit normal, maybe compared to the other sports. I think the NFL same way. But and I guess really as a journalist, for you, you've talked about or you're mentioning how you don't have the locker room access. So I'm sure it's very that's been a, a a tough challenge maybe to overcome or you know trying to get used to just doing zooms and things like that right it has been a huge challenge um very different unlike anything i've really ever done um as a as a reporter i mean even when i was covering college sports and in college you don't go in the locker rooms um i mean that's probably the closest analog you get but um even then like you're looking someone in the eye and they can see your face when you're asking them a question and with this, you know, even over Zoom, since we're in the arena, you got a mask over your face and, um, you know, you, you don't know if they can see you. Sometimes it seems like they can. Sometimes it seems like they can't. And there's, you know, just communication wise. I mean, right now you can't see my face because my camera's not working over this app. And uh, I'm sure there's a little bit lost and like you can't see my expressions as I'm right. responding to um, to your questions or, or with what I'm saying. And so I think it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic like it completely changes human communication you know and normally like you know you, you do phone interviews in this business and i still do plenty of them but there it just seems like there's something 
a little bit different about doing it over Zoom where maybe one one person can see half the other person's face, if at all. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I found it to be very different. Yeah, and I'm sure that it also is challenging because everybody – at the same time, everybody's kind of on a level playing field in terms of only having Zoom or whatever you can do, phone, things like that. So you can't get up in, quote unquote, the players' faces to get <laughs> maybe unique storylines or things like that, too. Yeah, I mean, that that part, that just really kind of, I guess, tests your uh, how creative you can be to find other stuff like that, you know. And, uh, you know, certainly the Red Wings are a team where they've got a lot of prospects. And so I've tried to do a lot of prospect coverage and, and stuff like that, 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 you know, can still give our subscribers something unique to, um, to feel like they're not necessarily getting everywhere. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it is one of those challenges where I, I love going into the locker room and finding a story that I think, Oh my, I might be the only one who has this. And that's, that's right. what gets you fired up for the job. But um, that part of the job is completely transformed this year. Yeah. So talking about the team on the ice. So I was curious, do you see the Red Wings making strides yet? I know the record isn't great at four twelve and three, but do you see notable differences progression following last year's team? Well, you're asking on an interesting day. I'm sure you noticed what happened last night. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, they got run off the ice by the Florida Panthers, and that game, I think it was their worst game of the season. Uh, and if you had asked me this question an hour before that game, I would have told you. And, and this ultimately for that reason is still going to be my answer because I'm just going to try and not have the recency bias to lock in too much of that last game. My yeah. answer would be a resounding yes. I think, you know, they, they've played much better hockey and, and it, it hasn't always been more exciting hockey. And I, I think there's a lot, of, you, you'll sense a lot of frustration from the fan base because uh, it's been a lot of low scoring kind of dull games, but um, man, it, it kind of says a lot about the 2019-20 team that that is just such a clear upgrade. Like last year, they were getting blown out by three goals, and it seemed like close to half their games. And, you know, this year, they, they've still had a few of those. Obviously, they had one last night that that would have ranked even in the among the worst losses they had last season. Um, but they're mostly playing one-goal games. They're in, it seems like, 80% of their games, and, and they haven't been able to win uh, enough of them, largely because their special teams has been a – just complete catastrophe specifically the power play has been a complete catastrophe i mean they're over their last 33 or 34 right now you know they have yet to score a power play goal in one of their seven one goal losses i mean you you get two power play goals in those games and suddenly the record looks a little more respectable you start looking more like uh, the nashville team that's right ahead of them in the division uh, rather than you know they're they're fighting it out with ottawa right now for last place in the nhl and so uh, other than the power play you know they're they're not scoring enough at five on five either, but they're not scoring an insurmountable deficit at five on five. It's just insurmountable if you're not getting anything at all on the power play. And their five on five defense has been great. Their penalty kill has been a hit or miss. And in the games when it's been a hit, they've been really close. And in the games when it's been a missed, those are the ones where it gets out of hand. And so um, it's a long winded way of saying yes. I think it is clear progress, but it kind of tells you something about where how far back they were starting from that there can be such clear progress in a season where they still only have four wins through 19 games. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. I was smiling because when he talked about the power play struggling and the offense and all that, I was I was thinking, because I, I cover the Blue Jackets for SB Nation, and so I was smiling because it was like, are we talking about the Red Wings or the Blue Jackets? Because it feels right. like the same team in terms of lack of scoring. and There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, the power Style play. Style of play. <laughs> they want to grind you down. I mean, right. it's, it's, you know, I've loved watching the Blue Jackets in the first round of the playoffs, uh, both of these last two years against Tampa and Toronto. 
because you know as much as i i certainly like anyone i love a highlight real goal i love you know offensive firepower i, I like a 6-5 game as much as anybody else as a fan but i also just really do appreciate especially what they were able to do to Tampa two years ago, but also the same deal with Toronto last year. Like you take a team that's so much more talented than you and you somehow put them in the game you want to play and you're able to, to steal it on that. Oh man, I've got, I've got so much respect for that, um, that, that Columbus has done. And, you know, I, I, I know, uh, it, it hasn't always made for the probably the easiest fan experience or uh, for, for people in Columbus or the easiest media experience covering John Tortorella, who's not always the easiest to, uh, you know, to, to get the answer you want out of. Um, but I have to say, I've really respected what Columbus has done. And I think it's kind of a proof of concept for that, for that style of play. Do you have any interesting maybe stories or what's your, what's your thought, I guess, on Tortorella? I'm sure you've interacted with him before, right? Yeah, I have, uh, you know, only a few times I've never gotten the, I've never gotten the the stare down or anything too bad like that. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I you know I think his he clearly knows what he's doing, and and certainly I don't think I would like it being in the press room and and asking a question and just getting uh, shot down as hard as you sometimes see. But you know I, what I do respect is that it seems like for the most part, if you ask him a question, uh, unless it's in one of those one of those games where it, you know, nothing's going to get through. I do appreciate that. He, he seems honest. Like I don't think anyone could accuse him of not being honest. Sometimes he can just be a little harsh about it. And um, that, that's kind of just one of the hazards of the job. You know, like if, if our job is to be sometimes uh, pretty critical, I think it's, you know, within the rights of the people we cover to, to bite, bite back every once in a while. It is interesting because in Columbus, it feels like it's kind of split amongst the fan base between Either they think Torts is the guy right now, or maybe they need to start transitioning a little bit just based, even though they've been making the playoffs every year. And before Torts, of course, you know, it used to be that the Red Wings were dominating, of course, the NHL. And it's, it is weird now to see kind of flipped a little bit. You know, a decade ago, I never would have expected Columbus to be sort of on top of the wings, so to speak, in that rivalry. But yeah, it is interesting. But Shifting back to the Red Wings, of course, you recently wrote in The Athletic about them being more, it sounds like they're more of a defensive team, that's their identity, yeah. or it sounds like that's what they're trying to do to win games right now. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely it. And I actually don't think it's that dissimilar, like like you mentioned, from yeah. Columbus. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, they, they, they just don't want to make it easy on teams. And, and, and they think they know they don't have the offensive firepower to try and play those five, four games. And so the, the point is, Okay, then then take what you're given, take what's there, and do not give the other team any chances that they aren't already going to get. So a couple of a game are going to happen. That's just the way the sport works. But you know, don't don't try to cheat for offense. Don't try to to um, you know get so desperate to to get a goal that you you give up an easy look the other way. And and that, they're not perfect at doing it yet. Um, but I think that's what they're going for. And and I I see a lot of parallels to Columbus and what they're doing. And I'm sure some Red Wings fans listening to this are not going to be real happy about that because, as you know, like Columbus has yet to really make that deep run or anything like that. But right. you know, the, I think kind of the idea is you're you're, you're going to be adding more talent organically over the next three four years here with all the high picks they've had that are going to start coming through. More outsiders coming in, Lucas Raymond's coming in. Everyone knows they're going to pick top five or six uh, in this next draft. And and honestly, in my opinion, it's probably going to be the same deal in 2022. And so you're going to add some high end offense to the picture. And, and if you have that identity, you have that culture of, you know, make it hard on the other team. Then all of a sudden, when you add some of that high end offensive talent in, um, maybe you're in a position to do what what Columbus did and then take it a step further or two 
because you are adding some of those, you know, higher end offensive pieces in. And Columbus, by the way, just, you know, added a Patrick Line and, and maybe he can be a piece that helps them uh, get, get one step further. I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts on that trade were, but, you know, you had two pieces there in Line and Roslovic that can account for some offense that you weren't getting before. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, I don't think any of us knew about the whole Pierre-Luc Dubois saga until New Year's Eve, basically. All of a sudden, we knew the contract thing was lingering, but I don't think anybody was really worried until those storylines started to break. And so, you know, Dubois was, uh, I think he was a big fan favorite. The guy, I was always marveling at the fact that Dubois had never missed a game in his career because, to that point, because the Jackets have always been injured every single year. And somehow Dubois was a steady force in that lineup. And he was young. He was, you know... I want to say 22 or you know early 20s. Uh, he was just really you know Tortorella. You know he would he would marvel about Dubois' game in the past. So uh, you know I just felt like this guy was finally that two way center that they had been seeking. And then of course the grumbling started, and I started before the season started or right around that time. I was like, I don't think he's even going to make the full seat or he's going to last the whole season. And of course yeah. we saw what happened. So. On the flip side of that, Line a has been great. I think, I mean, we, we'll see if he stays long term. It sounds so, you know, it sounds promising right now, but that's just kind of how it goes in Columbus. It's, it sounds okay early on, and then we'll see. But, um, yeah, I like, I, I do like Line a, what he can bring offensively, of course. And yeah, Roslovic has been the surprise because everybody was thinking, oh, Columbus kid, that's a nice story. But, you know, they didn't really expect him to have, and we don't know if it's going to last, of course, but no one really saw that offense coming. And he's, it seems like point maybe per he's game gotten, right so far, right? right. Point per game, yeah. close to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like maybe he got Cam Atkinson to wake up a little bit too. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's, that's what you want. Like, it's, uh, you got to find those little surprises. And it's not like Roslovic's, you know, I, I hear what you're saying because he's never done it over a full season in the NHL like this. But it's not like he wasn't still a first round pick, you know, like, you know, he's probably not gonna be a point per game player. But what if he turns into a, you know, 50 point centerman for you that you tack on to one of the five best goal scorers in the NHL? All of a sudden it makes lose. I I hear what you're saying, because I I love a two way center. I think it's one of the hardest things to find in all of hockey. But that ease your pain a little bit, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's. It made the best of a bad situation, I guess, from the Dubois perspective. So it's just nice that they were able to get something like Line A back. And of course, Roslovic. I mean, if those two are playing as well as they are, it might be a steal for Columbus. And again, we'll see how it plays out long term for, for contract wise and on the ice. But right now, at least, you know, it looks like they've got something going a little bit. So it's been fun. As long for as sure, they get least. Line A signed, uh, yep. as long as I, as long as they get Line A signed, like long term, I, I like the deal for him, honestly. Yeah. So before, yeah. So before, uh, when that trade went down, did you think that the Jackets came out ahead with that? Or what did you think with Dubois going to Winnipeg? I thought it was really even. I think I'd have preferred to be on the Columbus end of it um, just because you had that extra little upside of, you know, you, you get a couple players. And I, I thought, you know, Line A for as much as I think like Dubois has been a great player, um, I still think Line A's lived up to his draft spot. Like he's still been a number two overall pick caliber player. And one of my arguments has been um, and about Winnipeg in, in past years, and this was related to, to Line A, is you, you get into the draft and, and people want to take best player available. And I've used Line A as kind of an example of like, okay, but like Winnipeg took the best player available uh, as a winger, which is not, in my mind, one of the more valuable positions that you can take. Uh, He's been everything you could have wanted in a winger taken at second overall. He's been a 40-goal player uh, already in this league. At at this age, he scored X number of goals. And, you know, they're desperately trying to trade him for a center. And so had it been straight up Dubois for Line A, I think I'd have preferred Winnipeg's end. But 
because you add Roslovic in, then you also get that centerman. You also get that, you know, six foot one center who I know he hadn't scored yet, but he still had the pedigree to look like he was going to do it. And I just like that extra layer of upside because I thought it was like a, a lean Winnipeg if it was straight up one for one. But then you had Roslovic coming back, and, and so I did like Columbus's end of it a little better at the time. Yeah, especially with the way. And, of course, now Dubois is injured, which, which like again, I was saying before, he'd never missed a game, and now he's injured. And then you got Columbus with Line A and Ro- Roslovic right now. So it's like, wow, right. right now it's looking good. Right now, anyway. So Yeah. So with the Red Wings, uh, obviously, I mean, I'm an outsider, of course, but I liked, I thought the Iserman to Detroit, that that made sense. So what is the expectation in Detroit for how long or how quick Iserman can help turn this team around? It's a great question. Um, I don't know that there is a like timeline per se. And, and Iserman has uh, really <laughs> tried to avoid that word the whole time he's been here. I think since, since day one, he did not want to put a timetable on anything. I don't know if that's because he truly has just no idea how long this might take. Uh, I mean, which would be a fair perspective because in the NHL, you know, you only have so much control over these things um, or just because he doesn't necessarily want to be held to what he thinks it might take just in case it goes different. I don't know which which one it is. Maybe some la- combination of both. In my opinion, I think it's fair to think uh, that this team is going to have another year like last season, another year like this season, next season. Um, and But by the 2022-23 season, you should start seeing – not just the arrival of some of their top prospects, you know, Mort Sider should be in the in the lineup next year, but then he's going to be a rookie. Lucas Raymond probably arrives either toward the back half of next season or to start the following season, and and he's going to have some time as a young player. Um, but then you're you know you, you'll you'll still have Philip Zadina will be kind of an entrenched player by then. Philip Peronik I think will have kind of that you know 150 to 200 NHL games under his belt that you like to see from a defenseman you'll add a couple free agents and and maybe you get another high pick this year and, and you're able to add someone else into the lineup relatively soon. I just think by 2022, 23, that's when kind of the corner turns. And that doesn't necessarily mean I think they're in the playoffs, but I think that's when you stop, you, maybe you stop starting the draft watch in November every year and, uh, and, and you're at least, you know, looking to, to get in. And, and I think by 2023, 24, I think it's fair to expect them to be really, you know, challenging for a, for a playoff spot, but as for when they're going to really contend, like that, who knows how long that could take, you know, like it could be, it could be five more years, you know, and, and that wouldn't stun me because even once these guys get to the NHL, all these guys you're picking in the top six of the draft, it still takes a little bit of time for everybody to really become winning NHL hockey players. And usually it seems like it does take two or three years for, for players to reach that level. So um, I, in my mind, I think the bottom out continues this year. It continues next season, and then you see the corner turn. Um, and whether that turns fast, like it did for someone like Toronto or Colorado, uh, I don't know. But uh, I think that's when you start to see the upswing begin. Yeah, I think uh, before the season, a lot of people had them in Chicago, kind of you know last place Me included. Yeah, I think, yeah, me too. I mean, I didn't think yep. Chicago was going to do what they've been doing. So I guess, you know, if you have sort of that cornerstone. Now, I know Chicago had guy, has, has guys like the Brinkett and Kane and Taze is out. But you know what I mean? As far yeah. as some veterans. So, uh, yeah. So actually with the Red Wings, I actually, so I knew they weren't going to be a great team before the season started. But I thought it was kind of interesting. Some of the players like Bobby Ryan and, yeah. you know, Tomas Grice and Mark Stahl. So how did, how, uh, how did you like the veterans that they brought on? I think just to help kind of, uh, whether it's for players to be able to, you know, up their stock, but I think more importantly to help 
uh, maybe the young guys in Detroit. Yeah, I, I think it's been really important. I, I think most of the guys that they brought in have been about what you would want. You know, Bobby Ryan's got five goals. That's time tied for the team lead. And obviously that kind of tells you something in itself that 19 games into the season, five goals is tied for the team lead. But, uh, you know, that's kind of another matter. Um, you know, but but I think he's been good. And he's been, he's a, I don't know if you know Bobby Ryan at all or, or have seen much of his press conferences, but, you know, just an all world from, from at least my interactions with him, um, all world kind of guy you want around your young players. You know, he's got a great outlook. He's, you know, he's, he's been around the block. And so he, he kind of knows the situation. And, and I, what I loved about Bobby Ryan is he asked before signing uh, Dylan Larkin, if he thought, you know, the, the team had kind of internalized losing and that they were accepting, you know, that this is just something that's okay. And that just happens. And, and he wanted to make sure before he, he signed that that hadn't happened. I think that tells you a lot about, the competitor Bobby Ryan is and the kind of um, room environment that he wants to be part of it and ultimately will help create. And so I think he's been such a huge signing. Troy Stetcher is a guy who they got um, uh, for in free agency after Vancouver didn't qualify him. And Troy Stetcher has been one of their best players. Uh, you know, he, he really embodies, as Jeff Blaschel said, kind of the competitiveness that their team needs to play with. You know, he's his hair on fire every single minute he's on the ice and he's not the biggest guy He's not going to score you the most points, but um, he he's a big piece for them. And John Merrill's the same way. They signed him in free agency. He's been kind of an all-situation steady guy. He's playing on the top pair right now. I mean, that's uh, they got him for a million dollars in free agency. And so um, I, I've liked the moves they made. What's What's been a little, little bit bigger problem for them is, number one, they had two weeks where half, you know, 80% of their first or second power play unit uh, was on the COVID list. And so that was a big problem. They're missing some big talent in Fabry and Merrill and Zadina and Sam Gagne, who I think is a little bit underrated uh, as a veteran and what he brings. And then Tyler Bertuzzi went down. Um, Vladislav Nemestnikov is out last night. They, they've had trouble getting all those guys in the lineup at once. And when they've all been in the lineup, they've been pretty okay. You know, I mean, they, they, they had a, uh, they started two and two. They were mostly healthy except for Bertuzzi against Nashville. They split that series. They were mostly healthy except for Bertuzzi against Florida, or maybe he left in the Florida. I don't remember exactly when he left. No, yeah, he, he left earlier than that. So they were mostly healthy except Bertuzzi for Florida. They split that series. I mean, uh, up until that Chicago series, they've when they've had you know 85 or 90% of their lineup in, they've been okay. Um, but they have no margin for error, and they're not a deep team at all. And so that I think is where you run into trouble is you, you, you take one or two pieces out and suddenly it's a lot harder for them to match up. Yeah, I was curious too with the coaching staff. Uh, I don't know. What's the vibe, I guess, for like a guy like Jeff Blaschel in Detroit? Uh, is he, uh, I mean, I guess maybe everyone's on the hot seat or maybe, or, or do they like him going forward kind of long term or is it kind of hard to say right now? It's hard to say, partly because you know he's he's in the last year of his deal. But Steve Eisman brought him back after last season, and and so like they they could have parted ways if they wanted to do that. Um, you know that was the worst season of the modern NHL history, and they brought him back. And I think that tells you a lot about how Steve Eisman feels about Jeff Blashill. I think the way that they've played this season is a, in my opinion, again a clear step forward. And so you would have to think Steve Eisman probably appreciates how much more competitive they've been this year. Again last night notwithstanding that last night was a disaster for them um so you know i think that among the fan base uh, you, you sense a lot of impatience with jeff blashell um i'm not sure that that actually carries over to the front office though and 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 we'll see how it plays out this summer but you know i don't think anyone could make the case that the red wings haven't taken a step forward um 
in terms of their play this season, but the record is not. And so, you know, I think it's a fair question to say at some point, when do you want, when do you need the results? But in my mind, the way that they're playing, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Steve Eisman's actually fairly, you know, pleased with, with the progress that they've made this season. How do you like this year's central division? Um, and I was going to ask you particularly, how did you, how do you view the Blue Jackets? And you were kind of talking about them a little bit before, but yeah, in general, going into the season, I know with COVID kind of yeah. throwing divisions around randomly, uh, what did you, it's, is, is it kind of like uh, fun memories maybe for like the Hawks and Wings to be back together in the same division or how are people, are, what's your viewpoint on the whole, on the division and the landscape? Well, I think Chicago might be having a little more fun in the Red Wings-Hawks <laughs> right. rivalry right now right, right. <laughs> um, than anyone in Detroit is. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you see some old foes from back in the the days where these were all division rivals. Red Wings and Blue Jackets used to be in a division together and, you know, Predators too. And so there's, I'm sure there's some fun stuff there, but most of the players involved um, weren't ever involved in, in those days. And right, so, yeah. I, you know, for the players themselves, I, I bet it's almost non-existent, but you know, the, I, I like the central divisions kind of composition, and I think it's it's probably the most. You know, the East Division is probably the most even um, in terms of like every team is like, you know, except for maybe one or two, like a, like very plausibly a playoff team, and and you wouldn't surprise if those teams even won a round of the playoffs. But I think the high end talent in the Central is better, and that's more on par with with what it is kind of in the West. With you know Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, I think are all contenders. I think you can make the same case about Carolina, Tampa Bay, and um, you know Dallas. Maybe hasn't been quite what you've expected, but Florida has been a surprise team. Um, and so Columbus, like coming into the season, I ranked them: Tampa, Carolina, Dallas, Columbus, Nashville, Florida, Detroit, Chicago. Well, Florida is obviously way better than I expected. Um, so I'd put them right there at three behind Tampa and Carolina. And then I'd still put Columbus right in the fight with Dallas personally. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like Columbus and I think their style of play just, you know, when the games get more important, it works. Um, but they're going to have to get in. And that's always the tough part. And and obviously Tampa, now that Tampa's kind of solved Columbus, I wonder if if they'll be able to just kind of dispatch them again, if that's what it what it takes uh you know if there's in their first round playoff matchup but yeah I, I personally see columbus and dallas battling it out for that um last playoff spot i guess we have to mention chicago in there um even if i do think they're they have to come back down to earth with their goaltending at yeah. some point but kevin lankin has been outstanding and so maybe they won't maybe it's going to be chicago columbus and dallas duking it out for that fourth spot but to me there's a clear top three and that's tampa carolina florida and then yeah i see columbus uh Chicago and Dallas battling it out for the four seed and in what should be a really, really fun home stretch. Like I, I love that about um, the composition this year is that, you know, these teams are going to be playing each other down the stretch to, to get that last playoff berth. It's not going to be, you know, scoreboard watching out of town, maybe, maybe for one team, but yeah. you know, in this race, it's, it's just that you beat the guy across from you. And I actually think that favors Columbus because they they've proven that they can succeed in that environment in the playoffs. Yeah, I've been intrigued with the schedule set up as far as these like series kind of feels like baseball. Do you do you like that? And do you think that might be something that they try to do more of next year or just back to the normal? Well, you know, one game here and a few back to backs, but otherwise not really these these two game series type things. I love it and I hope they continue it. And I don't know for sure if they will, but I think it's great. I love seeing, you know, the same team twice on consecutive nights. I love seeing the the little carryover from any skirmishes the night before. I love seeing any adjustments. I love, you know, if a guy burns you one night, you can burn him back the next night, whatever. I, I think that's awesome. I really hope they continue it. I think it gets harder 
when you're not just doing all in one division um, to make the schedule work. But I would love to see it continue. I love it in baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. Um, and I, I would love to see it in hockey in, in a similar format. You know, maybe it's only the, the problem you'd probably run into is, you know, this year you're playing every team eight times next year. You're only playing your divisional foes four, I think is what it normally is. And then other teams it's three. So are you doing, you know, I, I guess you probably do two and one for your conference or maybe it's even, maybe it's not even three for the other. What, what is it for your same conference, different division? How many times do they play? So like Detroit and Columbus, Detroit's in the Atlantic, Columbus is in the Metro. How many times do they play each other normally? You're three. I want, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's three times. Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe you do two in, in one city at the same time and then, a, and you know, one off back at yeah, home. Yeah, one off. Yeah. Obviously it doesn't work so well in the cross conference because you're, you're not going to want to do, you know, you only get, you only play those teams two times, once at home and once on the road. So you can't do that. But for, for your same division, I love it. And I think you can make it work in the same conference for at least one of those times a year. Yeah, I could see where it might be like a one-off here or there. But I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I like it too. I think it's interesting, intriguing, really adds a spark to the rivalry. Uh, before I get to my last thing real fast, I do have to shout out. I know you know him on Twitter, uh, Sports5176, at Sports5176. He was the one that told me to that I should have you on, and it's been great. It's, it's been fun talking with you. No, he's great. He's, 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 he's really funny, uh, and I, I've really enjoyed getting to know him. I, I've gotten to know him since I moved to Detroit and, and started covering Detroit sports. First one, I covered the Tigers, and man, he's, he's a very knowledgeable uh, sports fan on Twitter. His podcast is really good, too. Uh, don't, don't call it a rebuild. It's a team build. Uh, he's a good guy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad he told me to have you on. In fact, he was saying, uh, obviously it's not going to happen this season, but he was saying wait till the Wings and Avalanche play. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, like you were saying before, I know that um, we're, we're kind of day, uh, decades away from the great like Red Wings-Avalanche rivalries, yeah. but do you have any fun, I don't know, fun story or, um, I don't know, uh, a, a memorable highlight maybe just in general, whether it's the Wings-Avs or something from your career that you've seen? Yeah, I've got one and I got to find it. I'm scrolling back on my Twitter right now. So so here's the deal. So I'm 25. So uh-huh. I was too young for most of the Wings Avs rivalry to actually remember really any of it. But my mom texted me uh, this photo. And, and you know, I, what's interesting is like when I got to college, I didn't know that I wanted to like be a sports writer. Um, I, I just kind of happened to join the student paper and that set me on the course to ending up in this career. But my mom sent me this, uh, a while back and it's, uh, apparently I, I guess I was writing down like play by play of, of a really famous, uh, Red Wings avalanche game from, from way back at when, and it's the, uh, 2002 Western conference final game six. So I would have been six years old. Uh, and it cuts off, uh, somewhere late in the game, but yeah, it's just, uh, my little six-year-old ramblings pad saved by Hashik and a butterfly save by Hashik in the first two minutes of the period, uh, and Colorado's rebounding at 644 and Detroit's rebounding at 1533, the mad ramblings of a six-year-old watching what actually turned out to be a historic, uh, game. The 2002 Western conference final game six is a legendary hockey game. Uh, and you just get this random little bits of, uh, of play by play by me throughout. Let me see if I can find a goal here. Uh, at fourteen fifteen, Draper for the Red Wings. I don't know if Chris Draper scored. Maybe that's what that is. But you know, just the the mad ramblings written down of a famous game. That's probably the best I got because I don't really remember the heyday of that rivalry at all. Yeah. But as a kid who grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, certainly I watched a lot of hockey and. 
um, and that often included the Red Wings. And so that that was a, a, a very, very important uh, game and, and moment in the rivalry. And that's about the best uh, memory I've got of it. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny because I'm 32. And um, yeah, I remember same for me. It's like I just remember in the like, I don't know, well, I guess late 90s, early 2000s, maybe where it was those two teams. And I just remember I'd go on YouTube and just find the the brawls and the goalie fights. And it was just so intense back then. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, the goalie fight, the fight night, you know, I, I don't remember it live, but I certainly have watched the videos plenty of times and, and can definitely fully appreciate it for all its glory. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I was curious about, so I, uh, so I was saying before I, I write for the Blue Jackets SB Nation page and I was doing my basic attempt in my last article about kind of looking at the issues on the Blue Jackets defense and uh, just kind of d- digging into the basics, some of the analytical things. But what was what sparked this question for me was, so I was doing some random research. So it was Greg Wyshynski's article on ESPN from like 2019. And it was like a, it was kind of like a quick roundtable panel from different anal- people within the analytical community. Uh, and they were, they were actually giving their thoughts on their most basically overrated or the, I should say, the analytics that they don't like. Do you have maybe like the most, in your mind, the most overrated or underrated NHL analytical stat that maybe, you know, maybe people shouldn't be putting too much stock in or should put more stock into? It's a good question. I think it's just knowing how to use them. Like, don't put all your stock in any of them. You know, like, I, I'm a, I'm like a person who I would skew toward expected goals over Corsi, for example, um, because I think the the quality of the chances means a little bit more than just who got more shot attempts off. If, if you got a lot of shot attempts off from really far and, and from, you know, toward the blue line and, and they weren't really dangerous, I'm not too worried about that. If I'm a coach or a player, like I would actually prefer that um, than being the one who gave up the the smaller number, but the more danger um, in the middle of the ice. So, so that's like kind of where I would tend to skew. But I think you also want to look at Corsi to know like, hey, like why don't we have the puck more? What do we need to do to have the puck more? Do we need to be shooting the puck more? Those are all really valuable. And and you also need to understand with like expected goals that when you're looking at a percentage, especially for like one game, you know, two big chances can really skew that. And so I think the 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 longer time period you're looking at, the more it tells you about the team. So I don't know, you know, I don't think either of those are really underrated. I think those are those are kind of the the standard bearer stats. I love Dom Lucision's um game score uh, value added stat i love a war type stat that really tells you holistically what a player is bringing it's something that i think even expected goals for percentage doesn't do i love those value stats but then i also want to you know balance them out with 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 context and certainly what i see and, and can say okay well you know philip peronic is not a player who grades out very well by warlike stats but i'm just telling you watching philip peronic every night um, you know, they're, they're missing something with Philip Hironic. And I'm not saying he's an elite player, but, um, you know, I, I think he's better than advanced stats to give him credit for personally. And so um, that's something that, you know, you, you have to be willing to not put all of your eggs in the numerical basket. But I think they're an extremely important tool and they help me personally. And I think can help most people understand the game in a way that, you know, we've tried to do for years and years and years with anecdotal evidence and, and comments, but the numbers just give you something that 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 those anecdotes and those little snippets that your eyes show you don't have, which is a way to back up if what you're seeing is a is a rare thing or a frequent thing or meaningful or not meaningful. And so, um, everything together is my my opinion. Like, I don't want to be governed by a spreadsheet, but I also really want to have that spreadsheet that I can consult. Like I think anyone who doesn't want the numbers in front of them 
you're really wasting an opportunity to know a little bit more, have the opportunity to look for something that you weren't seeing before. Um, the only really overrated stat, I think, in my mind, and, and I don't really see people use these anymore, but when I first started covering hockey, people seemed to be obsessed with zone starts, and I just could not give less of a shit about zone starts. I don't think they tell you all that much because if your team starts in the D zone and you win the faceoff, you know, I, I expect you to have better possession numbers anyway. If your team starts in the O zone but loses the faceoff, I don't expect you to have that great of possession numbers anyway. And it's a fluid game. And so just because you've started in the defensive zone doesn't mean you played most of your shift there and, and vice versa. And so that's the stat that I have no time for uh, anymore. I, I used to use it until I just talked myself, uh, you know, thought about it enough to talk myself into realizing like this is not telling me what I what I want it to. Yeah, definitely. And before I let you go, I guess if you were analyzing, like like you had the article on defense the other day, what is your, I don't know, I don't know if it's a go-to. I mean, I know you're saying that you kind of look at everything and not just one specific, but like, yeah. I guess if you were trying to analyze the team's defense, what would you say is a maybe a starting point in terms of yeah. what you're looking for? Expected goals against per 60. And I think that's the the one. And it's, uh, you know, you, you can look at shot volume too, and that'll tell you a little bit about possession. But I think uh, expected goals against uh, per 60 will tell you, you know, especially relative to other teams, you know, how, how even if they're giving up X number of shots, like how many dangerous shots are they giving up and, and, and how dangerous of shots are they giving up? That's what expected goals against tells you. It tells you, okay, yeah, they had 30 shots, but they were only expected to score one and a half goals on that. Like that's a good game. Every team in the league will take that output. And the Red Wings are good by that measure. And so that's, you know, convenient for them that they happen to have the measure that I trust the most uh, on their side. But, uh, and, and there's more to it, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, certainly that number, usually you use it at five on five. And so if you're, if you're getting killed at, uh, you know, on the, on the penalty kill, then that's going to undo a lot of your good work. If you're not getting good enough goaltending, that's going to undo some of that work. And, and any coach I think will tell you, and Jeff Blaschel certainly has made this clear to me, uh, over this season is that their internal numbers on some of this stuff, especially when it comes to expected goals, their modeling is different than what's out there in the public. And, and so the internal numbers they get, do sometimes tell you something a little bit different and i would imagine they have better numbers frankly than we have in the public uh but until they decide to share them with us uh we're left with the public numbers and that's what we're going to use natural stat trick as a site do you use that yep. one a lot or i know uh was it evolving hockey too right is one that you would probably reference yep i use both of them yeah. uh evolving hockey is great i'm a pat- patron of evolving hockey yep. would highly recommend uh, anyone else who is listening subscribe to that I, I think they do excellent work they have everything i need um but i also do use natural stat trick too and and, and they do have slightly different expected goals models um and so that's something you have to be mindful of and sometimes i still forget to to, to be mindful of but yeah I, I use both of those sites um every single day Max, this was so awesome. Uh, it was really fun talking with you, getting a lot of different perspective and from Detroit. And even the Columbus tie-in was really great. So I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. And uh, take care, Will. Three, two, one, zero, zero. Ever.